0: Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Hope you are enjoying a delicious iced or hot latte or mocha on your walk to class or work, uh, because it is time for yet another caffeinated career conversation. Today's guest is of this world, but he's also of worlds beyond. Vivek Wadwa, And if you're one of the few people who aren't familiar with Professor Wadwa, you are in for such a treat. He has written many books, which we'll be discussing. He is a new one that has just come out in June. Vivek, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go?
1: No, you didn't uh, print my coffee from me and send it over the wire, so I haven't had my <laughs> coffee yet, but that's okay. <laughs>
0: well, you're making me feel guilty about this, so I definitely, mm-hmm. when we do meet in person, I'm going to buy you a delicious vente of whatever you choose. Vivek, I am so thrilled that you could join us, and, and I want to get right into it because our time is limited, and you wrote a recent column in the Washington Post in which you oh, said... Wow. When parents ask me now what careers their children should pursue and whether it is best to steer them into the science, engineering, and technology fields, I tell them that it is best to let them make their own choices. Bravo. I know there are Java junkies still in school around the country and the world who are cheering you out loud right now. But knowing everything that you know about AI, engineering, and tech, why are you telling parents to back off?
1: Because when I was young, I was only given three choices. Um, Either I became a doctor, engineer, or a a business person. That was the Indian mindset. And even now, parents basically want their their children to, to pick one profession or another profession. Everyone has their own preferences. Lawyers are acceptable because they make a lot of money. Or you may want to be an engineer or scientist or whatever it might be. Everyone has their own thing. But now things have changed because anyone anywhere can build world-changing technologies. And these technologies don't require a deep knowledge of a particular field. They require the ability to put pieces together from different fields. So, you know, we have self-driving cars now, for example. Self-driving cars, if you were just a computer scientist, you couldn't envisage you know, the sensors that necess- necessary to detect what's happening around you. You couldn't envisage the uh, artificial intelligence technologies that are necessary to be able to ba- to, to read the information and, and the data. You couldn't envisage the fact that you now have to have motors, engines, and, and have uh, all of these, you know, things. So, so that was a combination of several technologies coming together. So if you were now in one field, you wouldn't be able to conceive how or why this uh, this technology should work. The same thing with some of the medical advances happening now. You know, Apple, uh, it, it, which has uh, been a, a, both a, a cell phone company and a, a consumer products company and so on and so on, produces a whole range of products, now has an Apple watch that has medical sensors on it. So you need doctors to be able to understand the medis- medical part of it. And most important from an Apple point of view, you need designers, you need artists, because they're the ones who develop products that are usable. This is, you know, Steve Jobs uh, uh, was famous for um, having learned calligraphy, and that's what inspired him to build the Mac, that he learned the, the value of art and, and graphics and so on. So this is why he built the most successful company in the world. And he talks a lot about the fact it's the musicians and the artists coming together with the engineers who made the Mac what it is. This is he attributed his success to uh, the zoo- zoologists, you know, people from diverse backgrounds coming together and building it. So we need people with many, many different diverse backgrounds who can understand the pieces, put them together in new ways, understand the needs of customers. They're the most valuable people in the world now. Vivek, could you talk
0: about the research that was done 10 years ago with the, the teams at Duke and Harvard that surveyed over 600 us foreign CEOs and talk about what they discovered in terms of the ingredients necessary to be a successful entrepreneur,
1: yeah, that was my team. I had a team, um, you know, both at Duke and Harvard that was working on it. We, what we did was that we uh, interviewed, uh, you know, more than 600 executives of what were called successful companies, companies with more than a billion dollars of revenue, and try to learn a lot about them. I mean, not only uh, uh, where did they go to school, but what made them succeed, and so on and so on. And we were really astonished at the results because my assumption was that in the tech world. You had to be an engineer or a mathematician to succeed. What we found was that the majority of them weren't engineers and scientists. They, they only like two percent were were actually mathematicians. They had a diverse set of backgrounds. Everything from finance, accounting, uh, the arts. Uh, I mean, you name it. Every field imaginable. English majors. I mean, uh, some of the most successful uh, uh, entrepreneurs. You know, Susan Wojcicki, the uh, the uh, CEO of YouTube is as an English major. Jack Ma in China, the founder of Alibaba as an English major. Uh, Bracken Darrell, the CEO of Logitech, had an English major. We were surprised at the diverse backgrounds they had. So this myth about uh, you know tech entrepreneurs being college dropouts from Stanford who were studying, studying engineering is simply that. It's a myth. First of all, they're not dropouts. They tend to be highly educated. You need to have a bachelor's degree. Master's and PhDs are optional, but Bachelor degree is a big diff makes a big difference in success. And it doesn't matter what the field of the degree is; it can be in any field, and you can learn all you need to do to build a successful technology company.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Why do you think? Because you need to have. I mean, engineers. You know, I, I'm an engineering background. When I say engineering, computer science. You know, computer science is what I've been in. Uh, The geeks and the nerds, all they do is look at code and uh, they deal with a small set of people in their own little burrows. I love them. I've been one of them. But the fact is that to be able to manage properly, you need to understand what makes a person tick. You need to understand human emotions and values. A psychologist is probably a better manager than an engineer is because a psychologist is looking at the, the human aspects of it. So... So first of all, to be able to manage and then to be able to inspire and motivate other people, you need different skills. You really need to understand what makes a person tick and how do you, uh, you know, relate to other people. So engineers and scientists themselves aren't going to make the good CEOs. It's more people who have the soft skills that can be successful CEOs. So that, you know, I mean, I, I didn't realize it. I used to think that engineering and science was everything, but it really opened my eyes to the fact that you need a broad set of skills. And anyone could now, uh, you know, lead in this new era of innovation.
0: Do you think this is a right brain, left brain thing? Because the right brain, right, the more creative, those are the people who think outside the box?
1: Yes, you need to have, you know, uh, I I don't typically simplify it in left and right. It's really, you need to have a broad range of interests and you need to be able to understand a broad range of technologies and, and then the human side of it. To me, the empathy Empathy is most important because you have to be able to empathy, understand what human needs are. You need to be able to understand uh, people and build things that they want. The, the, uh, I've also built two companies, by the way. I, I used to be a tech entrepreneur, I founded two companies. And, and what I realized was that the most important skill was being able to understand customer needs. And if you cut yourself off and you think, I know it all, as, as many technologists do, that they, 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 they know better than anyone else does, you're going to fail because you haven't understood the needs of your users.
0: I'd like to switch just a moment to talk about AI and something else that you've written um, in the last year. You said AI is going to become our guide and companion and take millions of jobs away from people. We can deny this is happening. We can be angry or simply ignore it. But if we do, we will be the the losers. So Vivek, how can young people today prepare themselves for the kinds of careers that won't be hijacked by AI, or even if they are, still remain relevant when that happens? Let's
1: go back to basics and talk about exactly what AI is. Because there's a lot of misconceptions about it. AI is everything from what we saw in science fiction, the uh, you know uh, the uh, three CPUs and are from Star Wars, to Samantha from her, you know, voice movies. It's all of those things. It's also Siri on your Apple uh, phones. It's also uh, the stuff that goes into games and uh, and so on. What AI today is is Excel spreadsheets on steroids. That you give it a lot of data, you write some uh, uh, some. Uh, some create some models and it learns exactly what you have there. They want to do pattern recognition and get, get smarter and smarter recognizing those patterns. So, with this, what this means is that wherever there's data, AI can learn over time and do it better than human beings can. And, so, and, and this is what, what most jobs they are they're knowledge jobs. Whether you're you know doing tax accounting or whether you're trying to decide, you're working for a retail company, you're trying to decide what products you should order, the open-to-buy process, what products you should order for what store, how much inventory you should have, or whether you're... Uh, I mean, take any field. What people do is they analyze information. So when AI is trained to do those things, it will do it better than human beings can. So now the choice is, do we say, oh, my God, we're in trouble, we don't, we're, you know all of our jobs are going away, or do we now say, hey... This is a great thing because all the grunt work in looking at raw data can be done by a machine and we can be smarter. Go back a decade, 15 years ago, when we first started having Excel and then you know, technologies such as TurboTax to do taxes, there were a whole bunch of accountants that said that these things are going to take our jobs away. We're doomed. The smart ones said, hey, we can use this to, have, to do all the grunt work and we can charge more and provide more value. We can now get into the business of advising our customers our clients on how we can provide, uh, you know, how they can reduce their taxes or increase their revenue. So this is the choice we're going to face: is do we fight technology and become unemployed, or do we use it to enhance our skills and provide better services? What you're going to find over the next decade, 15 years, is that the majority of people say, "Oh my God, we're doomed. Do we want handouts from government, or we're going to stop the progress of technology?" And this creates a you know, major, major problems for, uh, for society because a lot of people are going to lose their jobs and they're not going to be ready to transform themselves. The really smart ones are going to say that, look, we're going to, you know this is happening. We're going to use technology to make us better. And we're going to now upgrade our skills, upgrade our, um, uh, the value we provide to our customers, and, and they're going to be the winners in the future.
0: So Vivek, could you speak... To those Java junkies who are still in college now, who are listening, and to those who've already graduated for both. For those still in school, what should they study so that they don't become irrelevant? And for those who've already graduated with whatever their degree is, how can they ensure that they remain relevant?
1: Okay, first of all, you have to realize something that when when uh, Andrea and I graduated, we're both old people. I mean, I mean I'm not... Uh, <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we graduated, we assumed we were done. We celebrated, we party, and we said, "Okay, we we're, we're done with education." It ain't like that anymore. For the people who are graduating now, learning is a lifelong chore. You're gonna to have to keep learning as you go. You better learn to love learning because if you don't, you're gonna be unemployed. You'll have to keep reinventing yourself. In, in, you know, when 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 uh, people of my generation graduated, we picked a career, and that career lasted a lifetime. Now. Um, by my estimates, uh, careers last five or ten years now, fifteen years at the most. You have to keep reinventing yourself and, and so on. So the answer is that you have to keep learning. You have to uh, keep reinventing yourself and not learning. Uh, you know uh, what's in your profession. You have to learn, keep learning about other advances. Technology is like reading and writing now. It's a basic skill. You must learn technology. You must learn how to use computers. You must learn, uh, you know, how to use apps and preferably even learn how to build apps on your smartphone. You can do it. Anyone can learn how to build apps on their on their phones and use them to, uh, you know, solve them with their own problems. So, again, get over this idea that, you know, graduation is when education ends. Embrace the idea is that learning is a lifelong venture. And then realize also that, there I mean, there's a tidal wave of technologies, not one tidal wave, several tidal waves of technologies that are going to transform humanity. Everything from artificial intelligence to synthetic biology, to networks, sensors, 3D printing, drones. I mean, a whole range of technologies that are advancing exponentially. You know, my my book, Driving the Driverless Car, covers a whole range of technologies and tells you where to look, what to learn. You know, if you you can make the time, read the book, because it will give you a roadmap of a whole range of technologies that you need to be aware of. And then you can look at the references in the book and see where the knowledge is from because the same knowledge that I have, I'm a tech guy, I, I used to be a computer programmer. Now I can talk about everything from uh, gene editing to AI to drones to uh, you know self-driving cars and so on. All I did was start reading up from commonly available sources and start putting the pieces together. I can do it and you can do it and Andrea can do it as well. <laughs>
0: Thank you for that vote of confidence. I was just thinking as you were talking about the tidal waves that we all need to get our surfboards and get ready to ride the waves. That's for sure. You know, Vivek, your new book just came out. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, The title is quite evocative. Your Happiness Was Hacked, Why Tech Is Winning the Battle to Control Your Brain, and how to fight back. Why did you feel so passionately about this that you put yourself through the hard work, and, and even if you love the topic, writing a book is hard work, uh, to write yet another book?
1: Because, you know, the, the irony over here is that the young people listening to this are going to hate that book. <laughs> because, they, because they've brought up with <laughs> technology, they take it for granted. But the young people need to read it as much as the old people do, because you've got to learn uh, what is going on. You know, um, my generation, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly how old my friend Andrea is, but... Uh, I'm 54. I'm 54. All right. Our generation grew up without technology. We remember the days when, uh, you know, if we if we, we love someone, we would write a love letter. I mean, I, the young people don't know what a love letter is, because what do you do? You, you uh, send an emoji on your smartphone, right? But we grew up in a time when we would sit there and think it out and we would write these passionate notes and then we would mail it and the person would get it, you know, a couple of days later, right? So we know what it was like to not have technology. The younger generation is addicted. You have to realize that it's addiction is a game. You know, when you use uh, Tinder, Tinder's only uh, desire is to keep you coming back and addicted, being addicted to the technology. Because if Tinder was truly a dating app and it was trying to get you hooked up to someone where you could live a happy life from there onwards, you wouldn't need to come back to Tinder. So what do they do? They make it all about one night stands. They want you to keep coming back and, and make it transactional. So you keep coming back and swiping for more and more people. What they've done is that they've hijacked your happiness. They've reprogrammed you. They're using techniques that have been developed by behavioral scientists and by AI researchers and they weaponize them to use against you. I'm not saying stop using Tinder. It can be really cool to find people that way and, and get to meet people you wouldn't have otherwise met. What I'm saying is learn the fact that these people are trying to outsmart you. They're trying to hijack your happiness. They're trying to. They're treating you like a bunch of idiots. They're treating you like, literally like mice and pigeon in, in cages. This is what Tinder is doing to you. This is what Snapchat is doing to you. This is what Instagram is doing to you. They're trying to use technology and treat you like a bunch of idiots, and get you to be addicted to them, and to keep coming back for more, so they can learn more about you and they can sell you more ads. That's the game that the tech industry is is doing, and that's what I disclose in the book. You know, I'm, I'm a technology uh, proponent, not a not a you know uh, a luddite, as I might seem from the last few things I've said. So the book really walks you through the positives and how you can use technology to create happiness and live better lives.
0: Do you also talk about how people can not allow their happiness to be hacked and still have a one-night stand or use the, the some of these apps? Is there a way to, to control the process itself?
1: Yes, exactly. That's what the book is about, to tip the deck against the tech companies in favor of the people using it. So you, you still use technology, But you use it in a way that you're not being treated like a a mouse in a cage.
0: Vivek, you've also written about your concern about the students who do study technology and and engineering who are probably more likely than not to get very well-paying jobs right out of school. You've expressed concern about their becoming seduced, if you will buy the salaries instead of looking at how they can harness their knowledge for the greater good? Is there a way for them to do both? I mean, I'm sure these kids have loans they have to pay off and and need a certain amount of money to do that. Why don't you... Andrea, I've been working
1: as an academic for the past 15 years or so. And when I first joined academia, I I had big hopes that I could turn, turn my... Engineers into people who would save the world, who would change the world, and I invested a lot in them, and I still invest a lot in my students. I really care for them. I, you know, you know, I, I really don't even take a salary from the university I do it because I want to inspire and motivate. And what broke my heart was that when my students started joining Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, the investment banks, that became the golden life was to join the investment banks, and. You know, when I thought about it, I couldn't blame them because they had huge loans to get to Duke University and to be able to afford the fees and so on. They had to take huge loans, and their goal was to make as much money as they can. So now, what I do is I, I've accepted the fact that they have this burden. But what I teach them is, I said, "Look, go ahead and join the Morgan Stanley for a couple of years, make enough money to pay off uh, your loans, learn about how the business world works, and then come back to doing good for the world because you can start learning about a broad range of technologies and applying your talent." To uplifting humanity because you have the luxury of doing what you know people in my generation couldn't. That you have the luxury of now creating world-changing startups that can literally uplift humanity. You can do good. I mean, you know, the good thing about today's generation is that they want to do good for the world. In my generation, it also used to be about you know uh, making money and so on. But we knew that we could really couldn't do anything until we achieved success in business. So we'd have to slog it out for 20 or 30 years before. We could do a world-changing technology company or startup in any other field. These kids can. So what I tell my students is, okay, do what you have to do to pay off your loans. Join Facebook or Google for two or three years and make the mega bucks over there and then get back to saving the world. So so it's it's a (laughs) win-win.
0: Vivek, this is a very serious question in terms of helping those young people who have maybe not yet, but at some point will hit... um, a low point in their career, maybe even in their academic life, for whatever reason they may have a difficult boss, they may just not sync with their coworkers for whatever reason. could you talk about a time in your life, if there's been one when you had to dig deep to recover from a setback of some kind or a screw up?
1: yeah, uh, my whole life has been setbacks you know people think that I'm a big success that uh, I'm some kind of a genius, a guru, and so on. Life is always failures. I mean, every step of the way, things go wrong. I remember my first job. I had an asshole boss. I mean, really, that's the nicest way of putting it. And it would really discourage me, and so on. Um, and finally, I just outlasted the boss, and I just pressed a beard. I worked hard, and then I, you know, I, and and I didn't get discouraged. I just sort of, you know, said, okay, I'm better than this. I I, I had the rest of my life ahead of me. This. I'm not going to name names of it. The person does, so I just sort of persevered and and, and, I, and I rose above it. And 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 then uh, uh, you know I, I wrote computer systems that failed. I was on the verge of being fired. I, I learned from my mistakes and moved on. I mean, every step of my 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 career has been a bunch of failures. But what I learned was that um, that success comes after failure. Failure comes after success. Don't get discouraged. Just realize that life has its ups and downs. Life is like a roller coaster ride when uh, you know, you're at the top of the world and then suddenly you're crashing and burning. Then you reinvent yourself. Overall, if you keep learning from your mistakes, you will keep rising. You'll keep better. And, and the other part of what I learned was to keep giving back, keep helping people. The more you give, the more the world gives to you. So my whole life I've been helping other people. And the amazing thing was that whenever I was down, people helped me. When I needed help, I would would go to others, and they would give back to me because I gave to them. That is an important lesson people need to learn, that it's never a series of ups. When you read about the Zuckerberg, when you read about all, you know, Steve Jobs and so on, it seems like everyone had a series of uninterrupted ups. No, every one of them had their dark moments when they thought the world was going to fall apart. Steve uh, Steve Jobs was on the verge of failure many times. Elon Musk was on the verge of bankruptcy many times okay Elon is a friend I mean, i've been i've had drinks with him when, when he was at the bottom of the world and i know you know uh, the, what what he felt in, in going through all of those downs and frankly i've been there myself so many so many times so so to get used to it that is what life is about there are failures at every turn you have to accept it and you have to realize that if you persevere you will succeed if you just give up hope then you're doomed nothing can save you you have to have hope, and you have to keep rising and keep learning from your mistakes. Realize that you're not perfect, no one is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes, everyone screws up. You will screw up. Fine, learn from what you did wrong. Sit down and say, okay, uh, I learned from what you did wrong and, 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 and move on. And when you succeed, realize that it wasn't you who succeeded, it was luck and timing. It was other people who helped you get to where you are. Don't develop an ego and think that, okay, I'm God, I'm, I'm, I'm successful. Therefore, uh, you know, you should worship me. No, you're imperfect. You got lucky and that's why you achieved success. Try to figure out what you did right to achieve that success and replicate it. That's the only way you will rise higher. Do you
0: think it was this set of friends that you have around you or your family? Who did you turn to? Especially the first couple of times you had these really low periods to pull yourself up from the depths of despair.
1: It was my family more than anything else that was always with me, uh, frankly. And then there were a bunch of friends. My, you know when I was uh, down, I mean, I had a massive heart attack uh, when I founded my second company, I was on the top of the world and then suddenly everything went wrong and the company was crashing and burning. Um, um, my employees were, were there with me because I'd always looked after them. so they even though I had to lay off people, you know, what shocked me, surprised me, delighted me was that they said, look, uh, Vivek, I, you know, you've always been there for us. We're going to be there for you until we get new jobs. We're going to keep coming to work. People I had laid off did that to me because, you know, i had always been there for them. So that was was my biggest shock that, that because I'd done so much for my, my, my employees, they were there for me when I needed them the most. And then there were people like the venture capitalists and other people, rich people, famous people. They dumped, dumped me. They weren't there for me. I realized what a bunch of, you know, selfish bastards these people were and uh, and how uh, I couldn't count on them. It was, and then I had friends uh, who, uh, you know, uh, really weren't big successes. They're the ones who came to me and said, Vivek, would be there for you. So what I learned was that people who are there for you when things are bad are the ones you cherish the most. Family is the most important, but um, but you just have to keep giving to the world because it will give back to you.
0: No, that's such... Wonderful, wonderful advice. Final time for coffee question. If you could go back and do your college experience all over again, based on the wisdom that you have today, what might you do differently? What would you tell your younger self?
1: I would basically learn more about other fields, not just focus on one field, engineering, not focus on one career, just be prepared for the fact that there's going to be a lot of change. I could never imagine that I'm going to be where I am today. I mean, when I travel the world, I meet heads of state, I meet the CEOs that build a lot of billion-dollar companies. I mean, this this week I was with, uh, you know, in a room with a trillion dollars of wealth in the room, okay, and and they look up to me. They think that uh, I know what I'm talking about. I could never imagine that I'd be at, at at this peak. I could never imagine that I'd be talking about all the things I talk about right now or teaching what I teach. That wasn't what my career was. So the lesson would be that look, uh, life is going to make its own plans. Just keep up. Just keep up. Be open-minded. Keep learning. Keep giving back. And a lot of the people that that you're hanging out with today, many of them are going to become very successful. Others aren't going to be very successful. But but make friends with everyone you can and learn from everyone you can. That everyone, you know, you can learn from everyone that's around you. Don't think that you're smarter than or better than they are. Everyone uh, uh, has has a role in the world, and you'll find that some of the people that you write off are going to be the most successful in the world. So be up. Be open-minded, be giving, and get rid of your ego.
0: Vivek Wadwa, thank you so much, so much for making time for coffee with me today and the Time for Coffee community. I wish you continued success in everything. Hope your happiness has been hacked gets to the very top of the New York Times bestseller list. I'm sure it will. And really thank you
1: for everything that you do. Thank you, my friend. Uh, you know, thank you for inspiring all these people to do better. Thanks
0: so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.